As a rancher, you feel you've done everything right. You have a good set of cows, you're trying to use good bulls, but yet when you go to sell your calves, you're not being rewarded for your efforts. So what do you do? What if you could get a scorecard on how your genetics will perform once they leave your place? Troy Marshall with the American Angus Association explains more about this revolutionary new marketing tool for cow-calf operators on this episode of the Working Ranch Podcast. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Podcast, or if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. I hope you enjoy this channel. By the way, if you click on the follow button, you will receive notifications of when we release new episodes. Even better yet, if you pass or share a link to your friends, we'd appreciate that as well. Anyways, I am your host, Justin Mills. Typically, I'd say full-time rancher, but here for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to have to admit it's going to be more of a part-time rancher. But it's going to be full-time kid follower as my two boys are busy with district, regional, and state basketball here in Wyoming. And I know that's probably the case for some of you all as well with kids in high school athletics. As I said at the intro to this episode, our program today is dedicated to the commercial cattle producers about what the American Angus Association is calling their genetic merit scorecard. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you run Angus cattle or not. There's going to be information about this marketing tool that I think anyone's going to find extremely relevant. And I also believe that something like this is a long time in coming to help provide commercial producers with a universal standard that's based off of profitability through performance of their cattle. Also on our episode today, Don Day will be joining me and answering a question that the Captain Tim O'Byrne asked in regards to the sudden stratospheric warming and how that played a role in the major winter vortex that really created absolute devastation across many parts of the country and especially in the southern part of the U.S. Well, for the last couple of days, I've been able to take part of my second virtual conference. Last week, it was with the Society for Range Management. This week, the NCBA having their 2021 winter reboot. Thank you to them for allowing me to be a part of this event. Now, I know the event is over, but I'll tell you what, from my own experience, if you're vacillating on whether or not you want to take part in the future of a virtual convention or conference, here is my recommendation. I would encourage you to definitely do it because really at the end of the day, you have the same exact topics and issues being discussed, whether it is in person or from the comfort of your computer. Now, I realize the social element is not the same, but as far as informational and educational well, I'd almost say it's probably a little bit better to be able to do it right in the comfort of your own of your own office or at your own computer. But I look forward to sharing with you in, in future episodes some of the main topics that was discussed at the NCBA's 2021 Winter Reboot Conference. By the way, don't forget the dates for the summer NCBA conference in Nashville is going to be August 10th through the 12th. Well, a thank you to our sponsors for this episode of Working Ranch Podcast, the American Simmental Association. You know, through the years, American Simmental cattle have really gained a reputation as the science breed. American Simmental Association has their carcass merit program, feed conversion data, and calving ease research that has established Simmental as a beef industry leader that combines growth and carcass value, along with some really good uh, outstanding cow traits. Their research is backed by some of the most extensively documented genetics that you're ever going to see, 
and one of the largest multi-breed databases in the industry. Sim Genetics is profit through science. Also, a thank you to our other sponsors, the King Ranch Institute of Ranch Management and the American Hereford Association. Well, if you didn't know it already, but the Working Ranch Podcast is part of Working Ranch Magazine, and the March issue is out. Now, I think I've mentioned it in previous episodes, but I always like to learn what's new in the industry for products out there. And every issue of Working Ranch Magazine features a section called new on the range and in the march issue check out what the captain tim o'burns review was on the polaris side by side and marco burns test on the midland two-way radios two-way radios is something we found very useful here on the ranch and whether you're in an area with cell service or not but anyways check out these two items uh, for their review in the latest issue of working ranch magazine and speaking of the captain right now let's check in with the captain tim o'burn publisher and editor of working ranch magazine for tim's two cents Hey, Justin, Working Ranch Podcast listeners. Justin, you know I'm not a meteorologist. I wouldn't know a meteor if it landed on my truck. But I am very interested in weather-related phenomenon. And this whole thing that happened in, in down into Texas here just a week or two ago, um, it always gets me thinking, I want to ask the old-timers, you know, hey, have you heard anything like this ever happening in your 92 years or a drought like this or whatever? But um, I did do a little bit of research on it, and uh, it's kind of interesting March 22 to 25, 1957, there was a big storm down in Texas, 10 to 20 inches of snow, drifts 15 to 20 feet deep, and over 20% of the area's cattle population was lost from the storm. Uh, there was another one, San Antonio snowstorm of uh, 1985, leaving the city buried under a foot of snow. This January winter storm was the worst snow San Antonio had seen in 100 years. And then we go back to the Houston snowstorm in 1960. Second highest snowfall in Houston history happened February 1960 with over four and a half inches of snow hitting, hitting the ground. It pales in comparison only to the storm of 1895, which dropped an astounding 20 inches of snow on Valentine's Day. Incredible numbers for a city not used to more than the occasional, occasional sleet for sure. Um... I'll tell you what, guys, it's um, it's very interesting to look back in history. I don't want to forget that. I know we're all uh, concerned about the climate change recently, but I don't know if I'm buying all of it. I mean, that's pretty powerful to read uh, historically what, uh, what has happened, and it puts into perspective what can happen in the future. This here's Tim's Two Cents. I'm out of here. Back on Deadline. Well, thanks, Captain. I have to tell you, folks, that he or I don't really coordinate exactly on what he's going to talk about uh, when he offers his two cents for each of our Working Ranch podcasts. But I thought it was interesting as he referenced what some of the old timers say, because that's kind of something we're going to talk about when we visit with Don Day and the latter part of this episode today, talking a little bit about weather history. Plus, we'll answer the captain's question that he sent to me about sudden stratospheric warming. We'll stay right here. We're going to take a quick break and come back with a couple notes from the Working Ranch email inbox, and then we'll head right into our main topic with Troy Marshall on the Genetic Merit Scorecard. Starting off in the right direction is essential to gaining an advantage later when you go to market your calves. And I have proof that the right direction is with Sim Angus Sired Calves. 
A 2020 study by K-State showed that Sim Angus sired steer calves earn more at sale time than all other breed-identified sire groups with at least 50 lots represented on Superior Livestock's 2020 summer sales. The proof's right there. For low-risk, high-potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Mills. Just a couple notes from my email inbox. Thanks to Steve Harrison for his note. Steve was with River Bend Ranch out of Idaho for a lot of years, then with 44 Farms in Texas, now running his own outfit. But gave me a little bit more insight into some of the going on behind the scenes in regards to the Walmart series that we had right here on the Working Ranch Podcast with Lamar Steiger. Very complimentary of the endeavor all in all, but also shared with us that this was nearly a two-year process in negotiating between Walmart and 44 Farms and also reiterating that if people have concern about the cattle market integrating like the poultry or hog industry, that the physicality and the total investment nearly makes it impossible. So thanks, Steve, for your email. Also an email from Aaron Wegner out of Arizona by way of Illinois, interested in finding out more information about the sheep business. So we may need to be looking at doing a podcast about the nitty-gritty of the sheep business. You know, it's kind of a saying around the West here in areas that once used to run thousands and thousands of sheep that while everyone runs cattle now it was the sheep that paid for the land so thanks Aaron for your email I'll see what we can do to come up with on getting more information on the sheep industry well recently I participated in the Angus University webinar that featured Troy Marshall and Johnette Gosweiler with the American Angus Association about a marketing tool aimed to help the commercial cattle producer now I really hope that for those of you that may not run Angus cattle, that you don't just decide to tune out of our episode today, because I do think at the heart of this issue has nothing to do with the breed, more to do with giving the commercial producer a tool that will help them market their calves with confidence. And in this case, it's called the Genetic Merit Scorecard. So joining me today is Troy Marshall, who's the Director of Commercial Industry Relations for the American Angus Association to explain more about this concept. But first, Troy, let's back up just a little bit and set the stage because you mentioned in your presentation early on as a student that in college, you realize that the current commodity-driven market that the cattle industry is in is not real conducive specifically to the cow-calf producer. No, the commodity marketing system, I use the analogy, it worked really good for yellow to corn, but from a beef industry standpoint, we're trying to differentiate our product and it's not as uniform as it is with like the corn industry. It really hasn't worked well for the industry as a whole and especially for the cow-calf producer. And, you know, it just really comes down in a commodity marketplace. That definition of um, a commodity market is that in and over time, prices hover in and around break-evens. And so uh, the frustrating part of the commodity market is it just puts a lot of emphasis on being a low-cost producer and efficiencies of production. And uh, while those are important um, and always will be, I think we, you know, a business that's really thriving and is sustainable is focused on the customer and creating more value. So now let's talk specifically about this tool that you're calling the Genetic Merit Scorecard. First, what brought it about? And then second, explain what it is and how it's going to work. Well, you know, as we kind of mentioned, with the value-based marketing and the downside of, you know, commodity system that doesn't reward value, uh, the industry responded, and most segments of the industry, 
you know, actually were transformed. You know, the seed stock business, we sell cattle every day on the basis of EPDs and their genetic merit. And um, the feeding industry was actually able to directly capture the value, but, you know, more gain in pounds and conversion and efficiency and, and health. And, and of course, the packing and feeding industries and restaurants have always differentiated their product. And the the cow-calf side, it kind of been left out, even though they probably had more impact on not only the genetics that feed the entire system, but the management they put in that affects the expression of those genetics. Um, and it wasn't that the industry didn't realize there was value there. We always talked about it. Uh, you know, we had reputation feeder cattle where the industry tried to maybe pay more money for those cattle they knew had good health and, and good genetics. It was just, we didn't have a reliable, objective way of really defining the genetic merit in a pen of calves um, that we could use in the marketplace. And that's what the genetic merit scorecard does. It's um, really a kind of a simple um, process. We just take your herd bull batteries uh, and historic information that you have as well. And we essentially calculate um, what I would call an EPD for a commercial pen of calves. And we get a score for feedlot, grid, and beef. And what those uh, scores, you know, with 100 being an average, and it just allows the, the feeder or those upstream to understand the value of those genetics and rank the cattle accordingly. You mentioned that it does serve two purposes, and I know for myself as a rancher, you're always looking for benchmarks in the industry. How am I performing with my cost per per running and livestock to various other things? So one of the purposes this serves is benchmarking, and the other one is for a marketing tool. Explain a little bit more about those. Yeah. You know, and as you mentioned, Justin, the obvious one, of course, is the marketing tools. It gives, you know, as we talked about, buyers an objective way of knowing the genetic potential in a set of calves. Um, and enables them to, you know, be able to differentiate uh, between two sets of calves. We also help uh, producers that have the genetic merit scorecard market their cattle uh, through uh, an email listing. We have uh, social media and as well as websites, and we do quite a bit to help there. But beyond being a marketing tool, as you mentioned, it's also a benchmarking tool, and it just enables you to know where you're at relative to other cow-calf producers in the industry from a genetic standpoint. It allows you to see if you're keeping pace as, you know, the rate of change that we're seeing in this industry and the rate of genetic progress is phenomenal. And so knowing where you're at and giving a good idea of where you're going um, and having an idea of your shortcomings from a benchmarking standpoint is, uh, I wouldn't say it's more important, but it's, you know, equally important or nearly as important as it is as a marketing tool. Have you uh, have you had some uh, guys using this recently, and then what are they finding with it? Yeah, we did um, collect data on about 135,000 heads so far that had the genetic merit scorecards to kind of track and validate how those cattle did in, in the real-world settings. And the exciting news was that the scorecard did a really good job in terms of um, predicting uh, – the phenotype or the performance of those cattle in the feed yard. Um, and then additionally, um, we've been looking at, of course, the premium data and some of that there. Uh, and 
we are seeing that the producers that have a genetic merit scorecard, and it's not just because of the scorecard, but they tend to be more progressive producers with better genetics, uh, but they are receiving a, uh, a fairly significant premium in the marketplace. And we're actually starting to see them differentiate uh, based on those scores as well. Uh, this summer in the videos, we looked at about uh, 20,000 head that were all uh, the very same category in terms of being NHTC, never ever three cattle that uh, were all Angus sired. Um, and we just divided those up between the top 50% and lower 50% for the genetic merit scorecard. And we were excited that the top 50% received a premium of a little over $12 per hundred weight or about $80 per head. Now, based upon your explanation of the genetic merit scorecard and how it works, you could draw a conclusion then that if you get a score on your herd and you'd like to improve that score, then you're going to have to make some changes in your program. That is uh, really goes back to just the, the quality of genetics in your bullseye. And, and admittedly, the genetic merit scorecard is geared towards, uh, of course, the feeding and packing or the more terminal side of things. So picking cattle that are in the upper percentage of your breed for growth, uh, marbling, ribeye, um, and feed efficiency is going to be a key to driving those genetic merit scores card on the terminal side. Um, and that best thing for any of the breeds is just to use your breed percentile charts. And, uh, you know, and with the Angus breed, we have the dollar B and dollar C indexes and, and also the dollar grid. Uh, those would be very key to in your selection, if you try to select those animals that are in the top 20 to 25% of the breed or even higher, you're going to move those scores forward over time. Well, stay with us because when we return, we're going to talk more with Troy Marshall about the genetic merit scorecard. But now, how does it apply to an operation that uses crossbred bulls or purebred bulls from other breeds? Plus, later in the program, meteorologist Don Day will join us to recap the recent weather phenomenon that hit the country and what history is telling us. Stay with us on the Working Ranch Podcast. Kaching. More pounds, more calves, more profit. Studies show Hereford Genetics increased net profit by $51 per cow per year. That's $20,000 in additional revenue for a typical 400 cow outfit. And calves sired by Hereford bulls continue to add value through the chain. A documented $30 per head in feedlot profitability. That's real money and real results. Get more ka Come home to Hereford at Hereford.org. We're back here on the Working Ranch Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Mills. In our episode today, we've been talking with Troy Marshall, who's the Director of Commercial Industry Relations with the American Angus Association, giving us some details about this marketing tool they're offering through the Angus Link program called the Genetic Merit Scorecard. Basically, to kind of recap what Troy said earlier, it's a set of EPDs on your calves looking at three performance areas, beef score, a feedlot score, and a grid score. But the focus of this was for the commercial producers when they kind of put this all together to provide a benchmark for their herd and genetic performance, but also to allow them to market their calves with certainty and give the buyers certainty of what they are investing in. So now, Troy, for myself personally, I I run a commercial cow-calf operation, so I'm using crossbred bulls. My cows are mostly Angus-influenced, but I don't have a lot of data on them. So how does this work for guys like me in a crossbred situation or for guys using different breeds, 
purebred bulls? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Justin. Um, it is not a program where you have to be 100% Angus or uh, not utilize cars breeding. We can utilize the other breeds um, in information. We just need to know their uh, registration information as well so that we can compare them in the database and with uh, the meat animal research centers crossbreed um, uh, comparisons and EPDs, we're able to uh, generate those genetic merit scorecards for cattle that aren't 100% Angus as well. Um, so, And that's really what it's about. It's not about one breed or the other. It's about trying to identify those superior genetics and characterizing them so that the feeder or buyer knows how to utilize those genetics and what program they're going to fit into. In your presentation, you talked a little bit about this is going to take a little bit of a process. Now, you've already started to get some data back, and you're starting to see that it's it's correlating with what you expect it to see. But in terms of uh, th- this process, um, and, and as it grows, it's going to be an exponential growth and benefit to the cow-calf producer out there. So... Uh, in regards to this over the long haul and that this is not uh, this is more of a marathon and not a sprint uh <laughs> how do we move forward you covered a lot of really neat points there justin very well said but yeah that that's one of the things that excites me about the genetic marriage scorecard is that most of these programs were built around you know scarcity and they rewarded early adopters but as uh, we got more and more people enrolled or it became more of an industry standard. Those premiums went away. Um, and the value of good genetics and good management doesn't go away um, in the marketplace. And actually, as we get more and more people uh, signed up, uh, we're going to get more information, better data, uh, the buyers will have more comfort there. I think we will continue to gain access to supply chains and, and open up marketing opportunities. And so that's what excites me about the genetic marriage scorecard is that the more um, people we have involved, the more uh, scores and more accepted it becomes in the industry, the more valuable it's going to become. You feel that this is going to be very beneficial to the small and mid-sized type uh, ranchers. Explain that. Yeah. And that's what excites me. Of course, we love the big guys and stuff, too. But, you know, they they have enough volume and size and scale in the marketplace that they actually usually do a pretty good job of being able to capture value. And it's really the small to mid-sized guys that often have every bit as good of genetics and management, oftentimes even better. But they're not able to capture that value because it's hard to congregate the cattle, get them in lot sizes, et cetera, in the marketplace. And so uh, the neat thing that the genetic marriage scorecard does is it enables somebody to group and combine these cattle and feed them towards consistent outcomes. And so uh, we kind of give that small to mid-sized producer ability to compete and ability to uh, differentiate his product in the marketplace and really define uh, the value of genetics he's using. When you closed out your your talk, you left it with a story about a couple guys that were competing with each other in the in the feeding business a little bit, and and maybe reshare that story and why why we have to step up and compete. Just that is one of my favorite stories. And when I gotten out of grad school a long long time ago, I worked as a market analyst at Cattle Facts, and I and I spoke to uh, to. Uh, custom feed yard managers there in the panhandle of Texas, and they were extremely competitive. You know, they competed on their buy and 
who sold the cattle higher, who had better costs of gains, you know, less uh, health pools, everything. They were just extremely competitive. And I joked one of them put up a, a American flag and a new sign. And a couple of weeks later, the other one put up a flag that was three times as big. And they were so competitive. I didn't really think those two managers were probably uh, liked each other very much. And uh, when I went to visit one of them, I was really surprised there on his desk in a beautiful eight by 10 frame was a picture of that other feed yard manager. Um, you know, after a while, I, I had to ask him, I was like, why do you have a picture of Johnny there on your desk? And he said, you know, every time one of my customers call before I pick up that phone, I look at that picture and I tell myself, if I don't take care of my customer, he will. And, you know, in my presentation, the point of that was just that, you know, I, anyone was going to take a message home with them was, you know, go home and find a picture of that person that really inspires you and makes you remember that every day you're competing. And whether that's the, you know, cattle producer from Brazil or Argentina, if it's the, the, the dairyman or the pork or poultry producer, or maybe it's even just your neighbor down the road. But I think each and every day, if we get up and realize we're in a very competitive business and that we need to make a difference and just hang in that picture prominently where you can see it each and every day. Well, Troy, thanks for joining us on this episode of the Working Ranch podcast. And before we go, I guess I want to offer it back to you. Are there any final thoughts you'd have? No, I really appreciate it, Justin. And, um, you know, I really think this is a marketing revolution that's going to benefit everyone in the cow-calf segment of the business as well as the industry and uh, we just really appreciate the opportunity to talk about uh, this exciting change that we see uh, transforming the industry for the better again a thank you to my guest today troy marshall by the way to find out more on the genetic merit scorecard you can call him at the american angus association and visit with either troy himself or with john at gosweiler or anyone on the angus link team or you can find out more information go to the website at angus.org well just a final thought as we wrap up this segment and, and this topic before we move on to the next segment because as i think about this concept of a genetic scorecard from a rancher perspective i'm intrigued for this reason in the cattle market there's a lot of variables that can affect the price on our calves some of which we don't have much control over and some we could if we have the information and that's the key if we have the information so if you stop to consider how much money is transacted in the cattle business on buying bulls or AIing, that is a significant amount of money. And it's a significant investment for each of our respective operations. So with that level of investment, wouldn't you like to have some guarantee that it's going to work and it's going to do what it was intended to do? Here's an example. If I make the investment of a new pickup and drive away from the car lot, I'm having quite a bit of confidence believing that this new pickup is going to do what I bought it to do and it was intended purpose. So we talked today about the genetic merit scorecard being a tool for the rancher to give the buyer confidence in their product. However, I also see this as being a reflection back to the seed stock industry because here's the deal. If you're a seed stock producer, this tool for the rancher will be used to evaluate the genetics in their herd and whether or not it's working because now we're going to have an index number, a benchmark to gauge the genetic profitability of my herd. Will they continue buying their bulls from the Too Lazy 2P cattle company or will they move on because they're not getting the results that they need 
that the cattle buyer is willing to buy, for example, sight unseen. So it's going to be interesting how this will create some needed change in the industry and provide some support to the commercial rancher in the marketplace. Well, stay with us in our next segment. We will visit with meteorologist Don Day about the history of major weather events like what much of the country experienced in the last couple of weeks back after this. If you could do something today that would bring you profit tomorrow, would you do it? In the cattle business, it's about efficiency. And with Limousine Genetics in your herd, your profit is just one calf crop away. With Limousine or Limflex cattle, it's more pounds naturally to sell at weaning. It's growth and feed efficiency with the added benefit of carcass merit. The other side of the profit coin with Limousine Genetics is the maternal efficiency, docility, and longevity of your cows and bulls. It's as simple as Limousine Today, Profit Tomorrow. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Podcast. Justin Mills here along with Don Day, our meteorologist that joins us on a regular basis. And Don, thanks for joining us here today. You know, typically we kind of look ahead in our future to talk about what the weather's going to be doing in the next several months. But let's let's go back because I'll tell you what, the storm that hit us as well as southern United States was was, I mean, really kind of one of those once in a lifetime situations. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, some folks may say, oh, that was a generational type event where, you know, you hope to only see one of those events like that once in your lifetime. Uh, and it really was, especially when you look at, at the power problems and the intensity of the cold wave. Although every time we have a big weather event like this, I can always find other ones in the historical record. That's one thing I like to do is be a little bit of a weather historian and, we actually had an Arctic outbreak that was not that much different than this one that happened in 2011. The only difference was it stayed just west of the big metro areas in Texas. It was more towards New Mexico and West Texas, but it was really impactful as well. But this is something that you maybe see every 10 or 20 years is what we experienced here over the last couple of weeks. It's always interesting when we talk weather because, you know, you'll go to the coffee shop and the old timers will say, boy, this is the worst winter we ever had. I'll tell you what. And, you know, it's and it's and weather is very relative, isn't it? It really is. People's memory with weather is really, really short lived because I have the same people, the same type of situations where someone will walk up to me and say the same thing. It's the windiest winter, the coldest winter that they can remember when in reality, if they would have just remembered something that happened five years ago, they would think very differently. And a lot of times people tend to remember the big weather events in their life. And that tends to make an impression on what the weather was like. And they may be a little bit, there's a little bit of a disassociation with the weather they experience and the weather they're experiencing now. I always have fun with it because since I just told you I'm a little bit of a weather historian, I'll be able to pull something out of my hat and say, you know what, in 1997, we had something just like this. And then they'll look at you funny, yeah. and then they'll go, yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, the captain, Tim O'Burn, sent in a question because he wanted to know what sudden stratospheric warming had to do with the winter vortex that hit southern or hit into this really the Midwest part of the United States and all the way from really the whole country. Well, that's a very good question. Now that is a mouthful: sudden stratospheric warming. Um, and with not going too deep into the weeds, what happens? And this is a natural occurrence. And sudden stratospheric warming will happen anywhere from two to many as four times during the course of a winter season. 
What happens when we talk about the stratosphere, we're talking about that layer of atmosphere above the troposphere, which we live in. So you're talking about 60,000 to over 100,000 feet, that high in the atmosphere. What will happen during the course of a winter season is that high up in the stratosphere, over the polar regions, so this would be the Arctic Circle, the North Pole area, what tends to happen is the stratosphere will get warmer. Now, why it gets warmer is due to several things. One thing is that we could talk about is what's called a gravity wave or basically just a big loop in the jet stream. Let's call it just a big loop in the jet stream goes, let's say, really far north. That can trigger a process where the stratosphere gets warm. And like a hot air balloon, when you heat anything up, but especially air, it expands. So even though we're only talking about a few degrees Fahrenheit, the whole volume of the stratosphere expands because it gets warmer at those high latitudes. What that does is that as the air expands, it can only go two ways. It can either go up to space, and it can't really do that because there's kind of a lid at the top of the atmosphere. So what it does is it pushes down, it expands down, and that expansion pushes the Arctic air near the polar regions and the Arctic Circle, it literally pushes down. And then that Arctic air then has to move. And when you have big Arctic outbreaks like this, especially midwinter, especially as you get into late December into February, these big north-south transports of Arctic air masses are a lot of times aided by this stratospheric warming event. So the best way to describe it overall is the stratosphere expands over the poles, that expansion pushes down on the atmosphere and takes those Arctic air masses and pushes them. Another thing to bring up about Arctic air is that it's dense. It's heavy. There's a lot of density to it. And once you push Arctic air, you give it momentum, it's hard to stop. And that's one reason why that Arctic outbreak was so bad. We had this big push of Arctic air that was able to cover a lot of ground. And uh, once it came in, it was hard to get rid of. Just real quickly here, and maybe a quick uh, La Nina update, but it looks like some of the weather patterns or the models showing it maybe into the fall before we see something change. Unfortunately, the latest La Nina advisory that came out last week uh, is showing that La Nina is most likely going to continue through the spring and summer of 2021 and into the early fall. If that happens, what we've been talking about in other podcasts, Justin, that a drier than normal spring and summer is still looking like it will be likely for a lot of the central and western United States. All right, Don. Well, thanks for joining us on the Working Ranch Podcast. Thanks, Justin. Well, that's going to put a wrap on this episode. Before we go today, I would like to thank our sponsors of this program, the American Cemental Association. You know, bull buying season is upon us. And if you want to be confident in your buying decision, then I would encourage you to utilize the percentage table and breed averages table. That is easily located under the herd book tab at org. Also to the King Ranch Institute for Ranch Management. By the way, they are now taking applications through March 31st for their Master of Science in Ranch Management program through the King Ranch Institute. And finally, to the American Hereford Association. A thanks again to my guest today, Troy Marshall with the American Angus Association, the captain for his two cents, and finally to meteorologist Don Day. This has been a production of the Working Ranch Magazine. If you have questions, you have some ideas for topics of the show, I'd like to reach out and get a hold of me, you can do it by calling or texting the studio at 307-363-COWS or you can shoot me an email at justin.com. 
workingranch@gmail.com. Thanks again for joining me. I'm your host, Justin Mills. And until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.